This podcast is produced in collaboration with the Sheikh Zayed Book Award. The Sheikh Zayed Book Award is one of the Arab world's most prestigious literary prizes, showcasing the stimulating and ambitious work of writers, translators, researchers, academics, and publishers advancing Arab literature and culture around the globe. Today's guest, Maria Dadouche, was awarded the Sheikh Zayed Book Award in 2022 in the category of children's literature for her novel, L'Ours El Koura Ezujajiya, or The Mystery of the Glass Ball. Dadouche is a screenwriter and children's author from Syria who has published over 50 books. The Sheikh Zayed Book Award Translation Grant is open all year round, with funding available for titles that have won or been shortlisted for an award in the children's literature and literature categories. Publishers outside the Arab world are eligible to apply. Find out more on the Sheikh Zayed Book Award website at zayedaward.ae. That's Z-A-Y-E-D-A-W-A-R-D dot A-E. Welcome to another episode of the Bulak Podcast. I'm Ursula Lindsay in Amman, Jordan. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Marsha Links-Quayley in Rabat, Morocco. Hi. Hi, Ursula. And uh, we have a special guest on this episode. The writer Maria Dadouche is joining us from Sunnyvale, California. Ms. Dadouche is the winner of the 2022 Sheikh Zayed Book Award in the category of children's literature for her book, The Mystery of the Glass Ball. We're thrilled that you can be with us today. Thank you for hosting me, Ursula, and thank you for joining us, Marsha. Yes, thank you so much, Maria. So just for those of you who are not familiar with her work, Maria Dadush is an author and screenwriter based between the United States and Syria, who has published more than 50 books for young readers across a variety of genres and styles. She's received numerous awards in addition to winning this year's SCBA for the, her fast-paced novel, The Mystery of the Glass Ball. She's also won a Claire Carmichael Scholarship for Fiction, a Qatar Prize for Arabic Novels, the Khalifa Award for Educational Creativity, the Schumann Award for Science Fiction, the Arab Publishers Forum Prize, and many more that I won't name, and as well as being featured on the Etisalat Prize shortlist. Dadush's screenwriting includes work for the popular TV channel Space Tune. She's also worked as editor-in-chief for the children's magazine Fulla, and she studied creative writing at UCLA. So thank you so much, Maria, for joining us today. Um, it's, it's such a pleasure to have you. I'm a big fan of, of many of your books. And uh, it would be great if we could start out for readers just to talk a little bit about the story of, of the mystery of the glass ball and how it, it which begins with Hassan getting on a train with his, his grandfather and finding this glass ball. Oh, thank you, Marsha, for the introduction. And um, thank you for, uh, I, I'm a big fan of your work as well. Uh, Marsha translates uh, ha, um, some of the well-known uh, Arabic novels into English, beautiful translation. And um, yeah, let's talk about the crystal ball. Uh, it's an adventure um, that Ghassan uh, and Sophia had two children. Uh, 10 year old uh, they were on the accidentally on the same 
uh, train and heard uh, a consp- two villains uh, conspiring against the animal of the Arab desert, uh, trying to poisoning them using the crystal ball, uh, which is an uh, an innovate innovation uh, in, invented by Sophia's grandfather. So uh, Sophia was more interested in saving the crystal ball and Ghassan was more interested in saving the Arab deserts, which were the, um, something that his grandfather spent his whole life trying to uh, save. Uh, and uh, it's a journey on a train. Um, many people um, see, see this adventure as uh, uh, dedicated to animal life in the Arab desert or it's um, like talked and tackled the sustainable energy because of the crystal ball obviously but I see it a story about friendship because Ghassan um, is a typical Arabic child um, or any child actually he spends all the day in his room playing video games with the very same friends and goes to school and have this routine and comfort zone uh, as opposed to um, Sophia who uh, has spent her life uh, with her uh, grand with her grandfather uh, moving uh, seeking uh, the, the attending conferences and uh, not going to school, re- studying remotely with all kinds of friends. So they were very, very different. Uh, and when they first met, uh, Sophia was open uh, to their friendship and asked and said, uh, so we're both, we have the same age. We're traveling with our grandfather. We were, uh, we heard accidentally the very same conspiracy. I wonder what other things that we have in common. And he said, um, so answered, believe me, this is the only things we have in common. This is the <laughs> point where we start. This is when where where we started, and at the end, he literally took a bullet for her, which uh, happily did not like uh, <laughs> the, the pistol was um, out of uh, bullets. Um, but he yeah, was ready to uh, save her life uh, and sacrifice his, and she did the same. And this is where we, the, the, so for me, it's a story about friendship. It's a nice, yeah. Um, and, you know, accepting, not having, um, yeah, there's a, this very important thing that I forgot to, to say. Uh, he was not ready to have her as a friend because she, she her mother is from uh, Central America or South America. And she looked very differently. Uh, and this is why. He could not, you know, uh, picture himself being a friend with such a different uh, person with different background. And and we should say also that your story is set in the future, so they're they're riding a train yeah. near future. Yeah, and they're, but they're they're riding a train, and and it's a sort of um, to the children it's a it's a strange experience to have paper tickets and be riding the train and things like this because That's um right. uh they're they're a little bit further along already in all of the developments that we already see technologically around us mm-hmm. 
if you could talk about, we'd love it if you could talk about your journey to writing literature for young people and, uh, and what brought you to writing literature for young people and also um, uh, what brings you to writing literature that for kids that set, set in the future that, that has this kind of science fiction element to it. Yeah, so um, the, this uh, futuristic uh, aspects in, in some of my stories are tend to give extra powers to replace uh, the old-fashioned uh, magic that we used to that novels used to have before. So it's uh, I think it's appealing. Uh, in this particular story, it's it was a near future. Uh, I just because I was I wanted to make sure that the uh, things that uh, the Emirates or the Khalij uh, laid seed for uh, uh, were you know, had fruits. You know what I mean? We mm. see they saw the. I, in particular, I mentioned this. Um, water from the atmosphere uh, stratosphere or some i'm not sure about the name mm. yeah so it's a project that is that that are being studied now so i chose the near future in order to uh, help children realize that it's uh, the fruits are coming and you know what i mean okay so uh, to answer the story the question about my journey uh, and why do I keep, you know, writing for children? Uh, because I think um, stories are stories. Uh, they have powers. They attract people of all ages. Uh, stories do not wait for you to write them or categorize them by age. They just sprout somewhere inside you and make their forthcoming footsteps noticeable as you listen to them approaching and finally get revealed under the spotlight. So uh, um, if you ask me why do I write for young people or even for adults, my answer is I can't help it. Uh, stories just eat you inside out. I keep saying this uh, expression because they write themselves and come out whether you like it or not. And all I usually do is step aside, watch them mesmerize as they unfold. I keep writing for kids because I'm surrounded by them. And as I watch them, I feel that stories are babbling and bubbling inside my inside my head. That's a that's a lovely image. <laughs> it is. So I was I was also wondering. So there you are in in Sunnyvale, California, and. It, and you you studied writing at at creative writing at UCLA, but the writers who are immediately around you, at least there in California, um, most of them I imagine are are not writing in Arabic; they're writing in English. Um, mm -hmm. oh. uh, so I wondered about how you create and sustain a community of of writers. Are do you um, have a community of writers that you stay in touch with online? Do you share writing with other writers? Um, how, you know, how do you stay abreast of what's going on with children's literature and, and be a part of it? 
So uh, when I was studying at the university, we had uh, sort of a cafe for writers to get together that was called A Room with a View, uh, obviously named after Ian Foster's famous novel, A Room with a View. So um, we used to discuss there our stories for hours, sometimes days. Like, uh, I'm not sure, if I'm not sure about the narrator, the POV, if I feel that inciting event wasn't strong enough, or if I fear the humor was silly, uh, any kind of trouble, I'd head straight there for tips and help and fresh eyes. I miss that now after leaving school. But now instead, most of my fellow writers' friends uh, were learners in my workshops. The reason why we became a community is that in the workshops, uh, we develop a sort of mutual vocab and common concepts because we've learned together the anatomy of stories. We find it easier to highlight together the weaker parts, appreciate the, the strong and beautiful ones. And um, but by the way, we still have uh, our Facebook classroom pages open till this moment and we get to meet there real often and this is where we discuss what's going on in the literature world in the Arab world so I think even if I was uh, sometimes I've spent long time I, I do go to the Arab world maybe uh, longer I spend a longer time than I spend here and uh, I don't feel the difference really because it's it's always the cyber world where we now can connect with each other, right? Do you feel? Do you also talk about your stories or your story ideas? You said you're surrounded by kids. Do you, do you, do you, do you talk about them with kids? Because I do find Marsha and I just did an episode with our sons where we talked about a book that's written for 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 young for for children for kids their age and i do feel like i i read these books with my son that there is a um, a particular logic and a sensibility of course like you say stories are stories and when you're reading a story with your kid i'm also taken in by it but children do have a kind a particular sensibility so do you talk about your story ideas with kids, do you, do you run things by them to kind of see how they react? Because I feel like certain things really work yeah. for children. Yeah. Well, um, first, uh, I still have, when I started this writing journey, my son was only nine years old. Mm. So uh, I think I, as he grew up, I, I sort of mastered and took note took notes for, of everything that he was uh, concerned about or uh, admired or uh, reacted to. And also he used to be, he was my alpha reader and so were his friends. And I took very seriously uh, what they had to add or change. I almost uh, complied with all they said. Uh, so I think um, without having children alpha as alpha your alpha readers i think you can never you can never be sure if this is going to work or not mm -hmm. yeah i think uh, also it would be great to know yeah what they think is funny too um 
because many of your books have this sense of fun and humor. And as you point out, the, um, the, the near future environment of this book, The Mystery of the Crystal Ball or The Mystery of the Glass Ball, is a, a kind of a positive, in many ways, a positive near future environment. It's about um, different uh, technology and things that, uh, uh, that don't exist now, but could exist in the near future, such as taking water out of the troposphere. Mm -hmm. um, but you also have other books that where science fiction takes a kind of a darker turn, like in I Want Golden Eyes, mm -hmm. um, it has science fictional elements yes. that show a possible dys dysto dystopic view mm -hmm. uh, against which the main character um, has needs to kind of fight. Um, and I wondered just in general, um, what your inspirations were in taking on science fiction, if you were a fan of science fiction or, or how did you come to, to those choices? Well, yeah, I think science fiction is my drink. I like it <laughs> because it, <laughs> yeah, really, um, I like it because it allows me to shed light on the coming trouble that has seeds now and to criticize the privileged uh, strata of the society, the ones who have the power without really offending anyone. A futuristic mm. world is always appealing as a setting to teenagers. And the power of te technology, as I just said, uh, substitutes the role of magic and fantasia. Aside the... Uh, um, Besides, I mean, uh, I've read a lot of Ahmed Tawfiq's uh, work. Uh, I really, and also Nabil Farouk, I remember mm -hmm. his, uh, some of his, his novels. So we were brought up uh, reading and watching sci-fi sci movies. I think this is how we, um, I'm a, I became a big fan of the genre. Yeah, it, I, I think because there is Ahmed Khalid Tawfi and Nabil Farouk were so important, I actually am maybe surprised that there is not more science fiction for young readers in Arabic now. Well, I think there is, but mm. they well, it's, a, it's really complicated now because um, we, we in Syria uh, had... Um, what was his name? He's a very, very, Talib Umran. He's a very mm, yes. uh, well-known, yes, author and wrote maybe 50 or 60 novel about science fiction. But the, the, they all uh, like handled or spoke about old-fashioned sci-fi subjects like aliens and like uh, the robots. But now... Uh, things have changed. They have a very different uh, factors to talk about, like um, solar punk that's like um, seeking sustainable energy, or like bio. Most they they would. I think what uh, what everyone wanna read about now is biopolitics. I mean the use of. Uh, social engineering or politic engineering by the state uh, using DNA obliga obligations or uh, discriminating people like the way things were in Golden Eyes. Um, 
and also the new media and language, the the big data, data. I mean the 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 algorithms, uh, the machine in the in the machines we use every day, and who's watching us, and um, it's also subjects like. Uh, cybersecurity, surveillance, facial recognition, all these things now are more, uh, they, they have different, uh, they add a different definition to the sci-fi literature. And this is where we need to, to, to write now, I think. So if we get to do this, it's, this genre will be more appealing than, you know, than aliens do used to, uh, will want to like invade earth and this is a bit becoming uh, old-fashioned kind yeah yeah and maria let me just ask you a quick question your stories i've read two excerpts and one is set in the comoros islands and one is set uh, in the Gulf, I'm not sure w- what country they're traversing because I just read the beginning of mm-hmm. this trend, the um, the mystery of the crystal ball. Um, are your stories also set in other places? I mean, do you do you move around and set them in all sorts of parts? Do you have a particular locations where they're usually set? I mean, besides Actually, that they're in the future, I'm asking geographically also, where are they? Yeah, geographically. Well, I remember the Kaukabila Makul or the planet of absurdities uh, was located in Syria, in Lebanon. Uh, but I think the mm-hmm. rest of my books uh, don't have this particular geographic place. Ah, okay. So it's not. So that is also sort of left to the reader's imagination. Yes. Uh, well, sometimes when I first wrote the the Zift al Abyad novel, which is uh, which which talked about addiction, uh, White Tar is the translation of the title. Um, it was uh, first meant to uh, take place in Amman, uh, but. Uh, mm-hmm. The, it, it coincided that uh, the book we had to re- the week we had to release the book. Uh, this net- Netflix show uh, started playing about addiction in Amman, and uh, that caused uh, sort of uh, people were very much offended by it. Uh, they, they just mm. wouldn't acknowledge uh, this trouble, this uh, problem in their society. So we had to change the setting, and we uh, like uh, made it more of the generic. Uh, and this is how publishers prefer it. Although, and I, I really feel more comfortable talking about a particular place because just to, and even if I don't mention the name of places, I tend to. Uh, locate my stories in a particular uh, world. Uh, I use uh, right. this same uh, food and geography and and clothes and even uh, the way they talk. But and I end up deleting or the true uh, in, or the true uh, places names. 
and uh, changing them. But I feel more comfortable, you know, having a particular setting in my my mind. Sure. Yeah. I I mean that's true also of um, some adult science fiction and speculative fiction that I've read. Like it may not name the country, but the country the the setting is actually recognizable. I mean, it's very uh, evocative of a particular place, usually somewhere that the writer knows well and that, that you recognize. I mean, I'm thinking Basma Abdulaziz, I don't think actually says anywhere in her books that they're set in Egypt, but you, but, but yeah. they, you, you recognize the yeah. Egyptian setting. Yeah. Um, and that's actually a nice effect, uh, I think in writing. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you, for me, sometimes I have a hard time finding what, you know, what new books are coming out for young readers that, that, you know, they aren't covered in the, in the newspapers and the magazines in the, in the same way that books for grown-up readers are. There are some places that review books like Hedi Bezi, but, um, but that I, I, I still have a hard time knowing where new good books are. And I wanted to know how you find out about what's going on with Arabic literature for young readers and how you let, how do you let people know about your, your new books? Do you, are you doing, um, you know, zoom events or are you classroom visits or how, how do you get the word out about new books? Uh, so yes, uh, good start. is the Hadi Badi or the people who uh, review the the work, uh, as mm. you mentioned? Um, but and also there is these these well known publishers who usually uh, when you buy their work, you know, it's they you're sure that this work had uh, passed uh, many filters and it's supposed to be you know uh, a good. Uh, work of literature or art but um, usually I'm sorry to say that maybe it's not a matter of how difficult we can find good books but more of not having many good adolescent books in Arabic in the first place Um, I have to acknowledge that the abundance of good novels for adults or of good picture books uh, is there in the outer world, but I'm afraid I can't say the same about middle grade books mm. or young adult ones. Um, a big gap needs to be to get bridged here because we're losing readers at age eight, and sometimes we're losing them forever. I wrote for all ages, and I always say that I find writing for adolescents is the most challenging. Let me tell you why. In, in my opinion, children who read picture books are supposedly, what, age uh, seven or, or younger. Mm-hmm. They're still first graders. They, they know little about life uh, and the world around them. They take most of what uh, us adults say as facts and truths, and they trust their knowledge. I mean, adults' knowledge. Um, on the contrary, children between 7 and 12, they still know little about the world, but have more confidence and experience to adapt the Mr. Know-it-all attitude. 
Uh, yeah. I'm laughing because this is very familiar to me. Yes. So how does that affect writers? Well, simply we need to outsmart them, meaning that we obviously need to respect their intelligence, which is, of course, a requisite, prerequisite, uh, and a needed element for writing for all ages. But in addition to that, we need to disguise our wisdom with subtle clues for adolescents to find out or and to decipher and make their own findings at the aha moment, which give them the satisfaction. So that's a that's really a challenge. And another one is um, the the faster paced plot, uh, especially with this uh, with the with the, the shorter attention span that social media uh, uh, caused, and um, also the humor. The humor, the big challenge. Uh, the jokes should not at all look like that is joke, that is joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, last and maybe the last and not least, uh, the voice, a true voice uh, to the middle grade child, uh, which is the ultimate challenge, you know, because. In chapter books or adolescence novels, we obviously are free to free of the 500-word limit most picture books impose. And we have the luxury to go inside our protagonists' heads, unfold their thoughts and fears and wishes. In his, in his, we need to do this in, his, in their own naive way of thinking and expressing. And that's what I call a true challenge. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree that this young middle grade, especially eight, nine, and ten, there is, there is definitely not enough yep. being published in that area. So, but why, why do you, why do you think that is? Yeah, I've just mentioned because it's really difficult. You know, mm. I for one find it find find this the most challenging age to write to. I, f- I find it way easier to write a picture book or an adult novel or mm. even a young adult novel than middle grade uh, literature. Uh, I think we only have uh, the series of Time and Sami and series of Karma Karamil and series of uh, Ahmad Al-Aqad uh, for this age. Mm, we have, you know, individual books here and there. Right. But yeah, very, we, it's a strong need. I'm wondering about the balance when you're writing about something that you want to have some kind of a positive impact or some issue that you want to raise with young readers, say, you know, freedom and autonomy or, uh, you know, um, inequality like in in Golden Eyes or the environment. Uh, How do you balance that with not being moralizing or preachy or turning the reader off the young reader off because they feel you're telling them you're lecturing to them yeah uh so i guess preachy is when you take a spoonful of advice and you feed it to the reader non-preachy is when you let your main characters learn from their own mistakes and their bad decisions uh, when I wrote The White Tar, uh, which, as I mentioned, a novel about drugs, 
uh, I let the camera accompany the hero, Kinan, was his name in his journey, while using, without any comments. I allowed the readers uh, to do the math, math, do their own assessments and come up with their own findings only by watching uh, Kinan. So um, this is my way of adding a value to my book. By the way, my books, by the way, all books should have uh, a value, even if they, they're light and digestive. And what, what you think is very, could be very uh, humorous and comedy, it still has a value promoted, but maybe too subtly to be like, uh, to, to, to really pinpoint. Is there something, anything particular, like characteristic, I guess, of Arabic children's literature compared to mm-hmm. children's literature in other languages? Well, there is the, the Arab world uh, particularities, uh, the challenges uh, our children face, uh, like if we're talking about girls, then uh, we're talking about uh, the, mostly a dominant male in the family that has the final say in her decisions. And um, there is the particularity of, uh, of course, poverty in many in most of the pla- in many places and um, and the setting, uh, the dry weather mostly, and um, old-fashioned kind of schools. Uh, that's the things I can think of now. But of course, uh, yeah, yeah, having writing for Arab uh, uh, Arabic children is uh, yeah has its own challenges, and also there is this. Uh, you, uh, censorship because you know children do appreciate like say we say let's say toilet humor but mm. The, mm. your publishers are always against this and you need to fight in order you know, to uh, have them you know uh, accept sometimes you, you, they just don't and also um, like my um, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it my the, the antagonist in the white tar was originally a girl, but then my friend Abir, who is, uh, who is my publisher, uh, the publisher of this book, uh, said that there is no way in the world anyone can would accept an antagonist, like uh, the bad guy, to be a girl going and uh, uh, market and selling drugs in the schools and you know, going and using at night. So let's uh, make it a, um, a boy, a young man. And this is how we, end, we ended up, like changing the whole entire novel from the her perspective to his perspective, <laughs> and she would change the name. So yes, uh, writing in the Arab world has its own challenges. I'm, I'm not sure if I answered your question yeah yeah definitely and also i i'm curious that you write the book first and then you decide which publisher you want to go with and how do you decide which which publisher you want to work with and yeah to what extent the the publisher is influencing and editing 
the, the, the book before it comes out? Well, I worked so far with almost 10 publishers and my experience with them all was great. Uh, but it always, um, it's always uh, me writing the entire work first. And um, then I, I, you know, I, they get to read it and they get to give me comments and we do the edits. So it's never like uh, us working together uh, throughout the process. Mm. Uh, I wish to get to do that sometimes. I once was in a writing retreat upstate New York and I had a friend whose who's publisher used to come to spend every Sunday with us. Uh, and they, I was to, I used to like watch them working and uh, under the tree. Uh, and I envied, I envied them because, you know, you never get to do this and they are the world. So yeah, maybe, um, this happens when you contract for a book before, but by, by in, you know, when do you, this, this, it's an idea in the, inside the publisher's head and then he contracts you to write it. I think this mm. is when this happened. But usually things uh, work vice versa. It's usually we writers have this idea and we write them and then we uh, submit it to the, submit them to the writer, to the publishers. Mm. And, and does, does this category of young adult that has, you know, is huge in, in Western publishing and movies and everything, has that like f arrived in, within the, the Arabic publishing world? I mean, that it's not just children's literature and adult literature, but this, these sort of subcategories now, is that a genre that that you know is sort of people are aware of or de or developing. Um, I think prizes. If if I, if I get it right, uh, prizes are uh, uh, opening eyes about a new uh, kind of genres like Shunan when uh, issued the prize, the award of science fiction or some. I think there there are awards that uh, want you. To want us to uh, talk about historical novel or uh, journey novel or um, fantasia uh, what what else mm. I think awards this is well awards is the dynamo in the outer world because mm -hmm. obviously with people not uh, being able to buy books and all the hardships and challenges publishers face and writers and illustrators and everyone. Uh, the, the only reason why anyone would um, like uh, write or publish or uh, invest any energy or money in this, well, it's not the only reason. I mean, it's a good, it can be a very good reason for us to work. So, uh, if uh, a word say we want, I want a novel about uh, science fiction, this is where all writers will go and do their best. Hmm. Yeah, there did seem to be a while where there were. Um, uh, I think it was the Anna Lind Foundation supported uh, some some awareness and prizes for books with picture books with protagonists with disabilities, and suddenly I saw a lot more. Um, 
picture books with protagonists with disabilities. Yeah. And and yes, with Etisalat Award and and Sheikh Zayed and and Shoman, uh, there yeah, the it the prizes definitely I see uh as driving um development of of different genres. Um it, which is not the quite the same as having a fully thriving industry where people are buying them and they're being adapted to films and and that well because ideally what would be also driving it is that you have the readership this young adult readership that i'm sure like that maria you talked about that's so critical that's the age where kids sort of either become lifelong readers or or maybe don't Mm -hmm. um and uh and and hopefully there's that too that is more like you know really engaging books that are thoughtfully written for that age are are put out there that 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 public grows and that also publishers see that there is right that those readers to be cultivated mm-hmm. hopefully Right, yeah. especially right. young readers of potty humor. I think publishers should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, Maria, I want to thank you again very, very much for joining us on this episode, um, and congratulate you again on your win. And um, any of your writing that is available in English, we'll make sure to link to in the show notes and in Arabic, of course. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Marcia. And, and thank you, Ursula, for hosting me. Uh, it's been really a pleasure. Um, I just wanted to add one last small point. Please. Yeah. Um, I think the platforms that have books like uh, there are very few now, maybe less than 10, but they uh, solve a big problem uh, financially for readers and for publishers uh, because they made our books more available for just a monthly subscription uh, or maybe annual one. Maybe the annual subscription is less than the price of one book, but it, but the platform hosts maybe five hundred books, so you get access to five hundred books in the price for the price for one book, and this made a huge difference in the readership. Like I see, let's say one of my books were read one hundred twenty thousand times. There is, had it been published by paper. Maybe it would have like only uh, be read for one thousand or two thousand times. So platforms are making a difference, and I'm very optimistic about them. Um, maybe there will come a day where we see children have come across most of the good books available. In the uh, in the literature Arabic literature world, so yeah, and thank you again for hosting me. It was really a, a pleasure and an honor, and I hope we get to do this uh, again. <laughs> yes, thank you, Maria, uh, and uh, I certainly hope that these uh, yeah electronic platforms spread 
more and more. Thank you. Goodbye. And goodbye to all our listeners. We'll be back in a couple weeks as usual. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.